The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Everyone, welcome to a new Sox Machine Live. I am Josh Nelson alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's a lovely Thursday night, August 3rd, 2023. It's beautiful weather outside of Chicago, and some of you have decided to watch us instead We appreciate you guys joining us as we are currently live streaming. And for the podcast listeners, thank you guys for listening to the audio version after the live stream, which we stream live on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. And Jim, there's quite a bit to discuss in this episode. We're going to talk about Jake Berger and how that trade came to be. We got some wonderful insight from Miami. We got some bad news. Liam Hendricks is going to be out again for a very long time. The White Sox got swept to Texas, but don't worry, a culture's being built. And at the end of the episode, we'll preview the upcoming weekend series as the White Sox face the Cleveland Guardians. But before we get started, Jim, I want to know, since tomorrow is a big lottery day, the Mega Millions jackpot is over $1 billion. So Jim Margulis, if you were to win, how would you spend $1.25 billion? Well, we could try to save the subject that we're trying to, uh, you know, write here, the, the ship we're trying to write, you know, I think it was John Heyman who um, talked to Jerry Reinsdorf and said like, are you interested in selling? And Reinsdorf responded with like, make me an offer. And so like, <laughs> we could actually maybe do that, uh, <laughs> at least buy a sizable chunk. But yeah, uh, yeah, that's basically how it like, that money is incomprehensible to me. Um, <laughs> I remember one time I was uh, working at my former job. It was paper owned by the Hearst Corporation, and the mm-hmm. publisher was an actual Hearst. And the Powerball is happening. The office, everybody bought a Powerball. When we're, our department was set to have lunch with them, and I realized, like, we're talking about what we do with Powerball winnings, and realized, like, oh, this is pocket change for him. <laughs> this is like, this has to be the most boring conversation in the world to him. Like, oh, how would you spend two hundred million dollars? Like, I don't know how did he do that last year. <laughs> So I always think of that. Yeah, I think how would I spend it? Well, uh, you know, what they say, happy wife, happy life. 
Uh, so Kim would love to get a house in New Orleans because that's her favorite place in the world. So I think I'd buy her a house where all the other fancy houses that people live, like where the Mannings grew up, mm. etc., in that part of New Orleans. Not the House uh, of the Rising Sun. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I would probably get a condo in San Diego. Uh, so that way, in the winter time, I don't have to spend it in Chicago. I, I could just spend the winters in San Diego. I don't know what the real estate market is in Arizona. See, here I'm just thinking like, oh, the houses that I'm going to buy mm-hmm. and never spend any time in them. <laughs> so I, I'm with you. Like, it, it would be, it'd be insane. Uh, just like how much money that would be. Socks Machine would be well-funded. I, oh, yeah. I would say that. <laughs> yeah, we'd basically just travel a lot more, like just set up our own like press row somewhere, like buying all the tickets. <laughs> Here's our press box. It's a suite right below home plate. Like... <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be so baller. Like, oh, we can't get a press pass. This team will credential us. No worry. We'll just buy a suite. <laughs> That would be awesome. Love to hear your guys' thoughts in the comments section uh, on how you would spend $1.25 billion. But buying the White Sox, let's say after taxes, you get like $700 million. You call Michael Jordan and be like, hey, I'm willing to dish, you know, add in $500 million. If you're willing to front some more of it, I think that could be the direction how you could own the White Sox. But yeah, tomorrow night, the drawing before 9 p.m. Central Time, uh, a plug for whatever state you live in lottery the mega millions 1.25 billion dollars and they'd be i'd just be happy if i got like three numbers <laughs> we got this comment as in wreck so many sell the team jerry billboards <laughs> that's a good one oh man and uh tim maher uh down in arizona i brought that up is hashtag 109 today as in 109 flipping degrees <laughs> you yeah, I maybe wonder, I'm... like, I haven't seen a story, but like the, I'd be curious about like the, um, like Arizona complex league. Like you look mm-hmm. at the game time temperatures, like 112 degrees, 115, like, does it get too hot to play or like, how do they manage that? Because like, we're used to spring in Arizona fall league where the temperatures are more reasonable, but having seen like the record uh, stories about record heat and like record number of a hundred degree days over and over again, the record number of like 90 degree lows. Uh, like it would seem like there's gotta be a point where it gets too hot to baseball. Yeah. Will Carroll, uh, who is the injury expert, he has a newsletter, uh, that I subscribe to and he wrote about that specific topic Okay, in, in his newsletter today. I'll forward you that because it was quite interesting in how baseball is trying to combat this and just Arizona as a state overall with so many high school and college Athletics are trying new methods in case if athletes are about to suffer heat stroke. So I'll definitely forward it to you. Uh, A lot of that stuff is way out of my league. So I have to like read it like three times to really comprehend and on the methods and what makes sense. But yeah, that now that you mention it, that that is a pretty interesting topic. And I just read about it. So I'll forward Mm. that to you. Uh, Cause that is something that Arizona is trying to address right now. And obviously this becomes a major league baseball issue. Uh, but when it comes to injuries and such, uh, I don't know if I trust the white Sox. We'll get to that in a moment, 
Um, but let's talk about Jake Berger real quick. As uh, How did the Jake Berger trade happen? We got some insight from Miami as their general manager, Kim Ng, uh, was able to join the TV broadcast. And for the podcast listeners, here's the audio. And for those that are watching a live stream, here is the feed from the Miami Marlins YouTube channel. You know, we probably had a handful of deals that, um, that we thought were there uh, or close to being there. Uh, but we really felt that we had to get one locked in. Um, so at that point, we decided to go with um, Mr. Berger. Uh, called Kenny Williams, got that one done in the books. Not too many deals between the Marlins and White Sox over the years I saw. Not too many, but considering I'm an alumni yeah, that's of right. that, that's of where that it all started. group, had a pretty good relationship <laughs> with Kenny. Um, and, then, um, and then I will say the last 15 minutes were pretty frenetic because you're trying to lock down what you can and just and really you know it really gets down to um crunch time where yeah. you really need to figure out what's real and what's not good insight from a major league baseball general manager and just how crazy the trade deadline is but the former front office employee shares some great insight on how the Jake Berger trade happened, Jim. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people patting the back of Rick Hahn. Hey, you got Jake Eater. That's a good exchange. Oh, wait. It wasn't Rick Hahn. It was Kenny Williams speaking to his former intern who became employee of the Chicago White Sox. And uh, I find this fascinating because it brings a question that we've been asking for years now. And it's becoming one of our favorite mini games. Jim Margulis, who is in charge? People complain about Kenny Williams not doing anything. And then he does something and people complain about that. I don't get <laughs> it. He can't win. It's uh, like this one didn't concern me the way it concerned others just because they do go way back like you know williams was in the minor league development uh departments for the white Sox around the time that kim Ng was working and handling arbitration cases with the white Sox. so they were you know and they were colleagues and co-workers and like it would seem to me that you know if you're making a ton of calls at the same time it makes sense to like yeah probably um divide and conquer a little bit and say like, you know, who, you know, you used to talking to her or you used to talking to him or you have his number or you know how to reach him or like, you know how to get through or you had this talk, uh, you know, pick up where you left off and, and get it done. So I imagine like this one doesn't concern me. If like it were Rick Hahn talking to like Jed Hoyer or just, uh, you know, Chris Antonetti or somebody like who may not really have a direct mm -hmm. overlap with or may, you know, be different generation of GM what have you like the um the you know gms in minnesota i forget the the, the portmanteau that they use uh to uh cover both of them like i could see a case where yeah it just makes sense that if they were colleagues and they're used to talking to each other then great you know share the same language so that really didn't bother me too much as i saw like the alarm flags going off of who's in charge but i mean like kenny's still rick's boss right so i mean like in the way these uh tags uh like you know when jed hoyer was the general manager but theo epstein was a team president and everybody said theo still did everything like yeah i mean the division of labor is unclear but this is i think part of just title inflation and baseball and not having like a business guy and a baseball guy in the white Sox 
organization that, uh, yeah, there will probably be some times where they both are talking baseball and getting deals done. I mean, they've been working together for, as Rick Hahn would say, 20 odd years. He can't even you know keep track of how long he's worked there. So, yeah, it doesn't alarm me just because this is probably the way it's done for a lot of frenetic periods of um, activity. And yeah, it just happens to be that Kim Ang name checked Kenny specifically instead of like the White Sox or Rick Hahn. Yeah, I, I like your logical approach, Jim, but this is the Chicago White Sox and other things have come to light in recent days to suggest that it may not be that smooth. Mm-hmm. I could see... I see a situation where Rick always has to check in with Kenny with his trades before it finalizes in some situations where Kenny does not need to check in with Rick. Like Mm -hmm. I'm your boss. If Kim calls me and I feel like this is a fair deal based on the film that I quickly watch. And because I have that type of baseball acumen and Rick, you do not, I can pull the trigger on this trade without your approval. Like I don't need your buy-in because I'm your boss. And I think this is the best direction for us to trade Jake Berger for Jake Eater. Where if Rick is trying to make moves, like with the Mm -hmm. Angels and the Dodgers, he may need like Kenny's approval, where Kenny doesn't feel comfortable approving it until he goes and watches film of the guys that the White Sox are trying to acquire. And then goes back to Rick and says, okay, you can go ahead and make the deal. Like that, I, I can see that being very likely as far as the working relationship that clearly does not work. It is clearly not producing results. But I do find yeah. this kind of funny here because there is a lot of back patty. Like, you know what, Rick Hahn, you made a great deal, a tough decision. You traded Jake Berger. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, he didn't. It was mm-hmm. Kenny that decided to make that tough decision. Well, you know, the, the thing that struck me is that, you know, I guess, you know, who knows if it'll come up if somebody asks Rick or Kenny about like about what Kim Ang said about who she talked to and who's actually mm-hmm. in charge. But like, it did strike me that, huh, this is a move the White Sox made to trade somebody who did not need to be traded. Like, you know, Lucas Giolito needed to be moved. Right. Uh, Lance Lynn needed to be moved. Joe Kelly needed to be moved. Like, those have been the players Rick Hahn has traded. Like, Nick Madrigal, um, was the only one who didn't have to be traded of this recent bout of activity, but like he was injured at the time. So it kind of counts in terms of like, if they're giving up on him, like there was a pressure to deal him. Uh, But everybody else has basically been moved because of either 40 man roster considerations or out of options considerations. So like, there's always been a pressure making Rick Hahn or they like making the White Sox trades happen this is the first trade I can remember in a while to where like Jake Berger did not have to be moved. Like, I think it was, I think it's like I mentioned, it's in our deadline show. Like, I think it's a risky deal for both sides or like it's uncertain what each side's getting. So it's fascinating. I'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds, Mm -hmm. but like, this is a case where like you had a bunch of right-handed slugger types who with very, you know, limited defensive utility and somebody has to be moved. And maybe Kenny's saying like, I'll hold my nose and do it. Or like, you know, it's, I'll make the call. I'll pull the trigger. This is what I'm used to doing. I'm used to trading Aaron Rowland and I'm used to trading, you know, Brandon McCarthy and guys who are, you know, could contribute to other teams, but I want to move them for somebody who can use more now. Like 
if it takes like uh you know that kind of teamwork you know one guy willing to uh just pull the trigger on somebody who might hurt them down the road versus you know leaving rick honda trade the guys who need to be traded like at least action happened so in that regard like yeah the, the results are positive, and I think even the burger trade like could blow up in the White Sox faces, but they needed to make some kind of move to alleviate that log jam on the roster. I just, you know, every time you talk about praising the White Sox, though, or praising their deadline activity, it feels like a um, praise for the current model of management and, like, support for them continued employment. And, like, no. <laughs> so that's why right. <laughs> I really don't like talking about this because, like, they would have been fired so many times already. <laughs> And they're not. <laughs> oh, I, I love it because it's it's a great segue. But we got this comment uh, from Ezid Rec on YouTube. Hanna LaRusa hire, quote, it was a collaborative decision, end quote. <laughs> the hell it was. <laughs> so we learned. Oh, that's that's why. I, Jerry I said you're going to have to. And I said, yes, <laughs> collaborate. collaboration, of course. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Well, at least I could laugh because this next news is uh, not great. Uh, Mm -hmm. We learned yesterday, and Jim wrote about it on SoxMachine.com, that Liam Hendricks is out 12 to 14 months as he needed Tommy John surgery. And let's break this down real quick. So there's a couple of quotes that Jim pointed out in the Sox Machine column. If you didn't get a chance to read it, I highly recommend to do so. So first, let's pull the Rick Hahn quote when talking about the rehab process for Liam Hendricks, Rick Hahn said, quote, perhaps the most thoroughly vetted return to play of any player in certainly my memory, end quote from Rick Hahn. And Jim, great research by you. You pulled out this quote back in June 14th from Liam Hendricks. And when Hendricks was asked about his injury, he said, quote, it's been sore for the last few weeks ever since before my rehab assignment. It was barking, but my mantra is to pitch things until I can't. It kept getting a little worse and worse and worse until the last couple of outings. I wasn't able to pitch through that pain. That's what Hendricks said on June 14th. And on August 2nd, Liam Hendricks is out 12 to 14 months because of Tommy John surgery and looking up his past spring training numbers. And and I did this because I was curious and like how many innings did Hendricks need in spring training to get ready for the regular season? And of course he had normal off season. He could do all his conditioning. Like he always does in the winter time arrives in Glendale. Maybe doesn't pitch at the very beginning, but he pitches definitely in the March games leading up to the regular season. And in 2021, he just needed five innings in 2022. He pitched five and two thirds innings. He didn't have spring training this year because he survived cancer. Mm-hmm. So not a normal off season. And in his rehab starts in Charlotte, he appeared in six games. And guess what? He pitched five innings. And going back to that quote again from Liam Hendricks, it's been sore for the last few weeks. Ever since before my rehab assignment, it was barking. I got questions. And one of the questions is, did Liam report that his bicep or his pitching arm was barking to the training staff. And what did the training staff do with that information? Because to your point, what you wrote in the column, Jim, these things are not meshing well. Mm -hmm. 
And now the outcome of possibly rushing someone back too soon is that they're going to miss the entire 2024 season. And now you have a contract decision that is needed to be made after the World Series in which you either have to pick up the $15 million option knowing that the chances are very high that Hendricks is not going to pitch for you. Or you buy out Hendricks and he gets $1.5 million from the White Sox over the next 10 seasons, but he is a free agent and he is, I assume, on his own when it comes to rehabbing from Tommy John. But I think the White Sox had always make their facilities available to Hendricks if he needed to use them to get back on track. So that's what they have done for themselves here. And my biggest takeaway, Jim, is, again, fire everyone. Mm-hmm. But... This, uh, the White Sox have always been struggling with this. They continue to struggle with as far as player rehab and handling of injuries to their players. And boy, this really has blown up. And this was like the worst case scenario. This was the biggest fear and it happened. Yeah. And, you know, there's a comment in the YouTube stream about like, you know, how much of that was Liam rushing himself back versus, you know, the organization mishandling him. And it could be. Both like it could be a case where I mentioned this on 670 the score when I was on saying like, was Liam Hendricks trying to be superhuman uh, when really he's human and his body just absorbed uh, so much wear and terror over the course of the uh, lymphoma battle that just, you know, perhaps he thought he was pitching through normal pain and you know, maybe he just couldn't quite tell what normal pain was based on just everything he had to go through. And so maybe he misjudged uh, an arm situation that he's used to managing because his UCL has been partially torn uh, for 15 years. James Feagan reported that uh, back um, during trying to figure out how long he'd been compromised for when it came to, you know, not only the uh, you know, lymphoma, but also going back to last year when he was frustrated by like how he wasn't able to pitch as long as he normally did. And he had the flexor strain and whatnot. So he's had, known arm issues for a while and so like it's a case where like he's used to pitching through certain amount of discomfort and rallying and so like you know that could be a case where Hendricks just misjudge or maybe just bad luck because he's 34 and he's been pitching with a partially torn UCL for 15 years and maybe just happened to be normal pain that turned into abnormal pain like this time around and this was when uh the the bill had to be paid but just it is White Sox you know, luck, not necessarily bad luck. Maybe they make their own luck here when they, you know, Rick Hahn says that it's a, you know, the most thoroughly vetted return. And then like, you know, Hendricks goes and says like, yeah, my arm's been hurting the whole time. Like, did the vetting include asking him? Uh, <laughs> like, and, you know, I'm guessing it did, but just, you know, if Hendricks is saying like, yeah, it's normal, I'm I'm making all my appearances the way I normally do and it's not going away. But like that, that's, it does uh, smack a little bit of hubris a little bit, even if I do think the White Sox probably had best, safest intentions in mind, just because, like, this is terrible press to have one of the best stories, you know, an SB winning story for Hendricks's courage and resolve and resilience and getting back on the mound and the reception he got in minor league dugouts and major league dugouts and the crowd and everywhere he went, like it is a great story. So if you're the white Sox, and I do believe this is the case, like, you know, that they wouldn't want to just milk it and be like, Hey, story's going to, yeah, this is, this season's going belly up. Let's, uh, you know, 
let's use Liam as a shield to hide behind and like have a few positive weeks of press. Like, I don't think they're that callous. I think it's more I better of just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, say that they're, they have some level of humanity here. Uh, I think it's a, you know, it strikes me as just, you know, Hendricks being somebody who always wants the ball and is, you know, all about grit and determination when it comes to his attitude on the mound and perhaps like his body just, this is the one time his body failed him when, you know, up until this point it hadn't. And uh, perhaps like just because of everything he'd been through, he just maybe couldn't recognize this kind of arm discomfort versus normal mm-hmm. building up arm discomfort, normal pitching with the partially torn UCL arm discomfort. Uh, again, another good comment from as in the YouTube comments, though, it's the kind of injury that's affecting the Rays and Dodgers these days that it's happening to an incompetent organization. Isn't necessarily due to their incompetence. And like, I understand that point, but for me, the white Sox do not earn any benefit of the doubt when it comes to injury handling now, especially with the vast amount of examples we have seen the last couple of years, even this year, refusing to put guys on the injured list. Like, man, I thought you hired a guy, you hired a team to address this stuff. And someone has to be the adult in the room. Like, unfortunately, you have this very painful lesson moving forward, whoever is in charge. And hopefully you never have to go through this situation again. But you're kind, and I'm glad you in your column brought up Garrett Crochet because Garrett Crochet is not well, and he's coming off a of Tommy John surgery, and there's always this idea that you go through Tommy John and you bounce right back and you're back to normal, or you could even throw harder. It's a routine surgery. I it just doesn't seem like the rehabs have been routine for the White Sox, and. It, it it's just a concern. Like it's another example that I I am very concerned about the way that the White Sox are handling injuries. And now, lo and behold, even if this is like to your point, Jim, just bad luck all around. Well, you don't have Liam Hendricks now for the 2014 season, and you have a very mm-hmm. difficult financial decision to make upcoming. I'm yeah, we've, you've been told, right, that uh, there's yes. no insurance on this contract? Yeah, there's there's no insurance on Hendricks's contract. Uh, insurance on player contracts has skyrocketed from what I was told from a minority owner source of the Chicago White Sox. And you only get that type of insurance now for very large contracts. Let's say more than $150 million. Like Shohei Otani's contract will have insurance on it because it's worth to get insurance on it. Liam Hendricks, three years, 50 some million dollars. No, you, you don't. It's the insurance is too much for those types of contracts. Uh, so for the White Sox, they have a difficult financial decision to make for Hendricks, man. I feel for him as just a person to battle and to win uh, against cancer and to survive that. And now you got to spend the next 12 to 14 months after surgery, sitting, healing, rehabbing and you've heard pitchers over the years say it's a very lonely process uh to rehab from tommy john like yeah we're probably not going to see liam hendrix pitch again until 2025 and we're all going to be one wondering what kind of shape hendrix is in two what team is he pitching for because it's probably not going to be the chicago white Sox. 
Yeah, it's uh, I guess like 13 months if he split the difference that puts him back in the mound in September. I'm guessing he would want to try to pitch in September just to prove himself to the market, unless like he and the White Sox agree to some kind of deal or who knows what, um, you know, maybe the White Sox you'll know, want to do just make sure that, that you know his time on the team doesn't end on that note. But I would assume if he can, like he'd want that September you know, with maybe one of the extra roster spots to show teams or show the White Sox that he's still got it. Well, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. But coming up next, we'll talk about what happened on the field for the White Sox in Arlington, Texas, and preview the upcoming series against the Cleveland Guardians. The biggest acts are visiting Chicago this summer on top of all the baseball games and other great concerts, theater shows too. It could be quite the chore and headache trying to secure tickets to all of these shows and events. Buying tickets shouldn't be stressful. Use Game Time to purchase your tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for sports, music, comedy, theater near you. They've got killer deals on last-minute tickets, and their best price guarantee helps eliminate stressing over tickets. If you find tickets in the same section or even row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's why Game Time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Download the Game Time app, create your account, and get $20 off your first purchase using our promo code SOXMACHINE. Terms and conditions apply. Again, create an account and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Game Time. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The White Sox got swept in Texas. Not a very close series, I guess. Uh, If you just read the box scores, I mean, they lost the first game by two runs. They lost the third game by two runs. But in 27 innings against the Texas Rangers, the White Sox scored in two of them. And mm-hmm. in the third game, they were up three to nothing in the top of the first inning against Max Scherzer. They scored three runs off of Max Scherzer, uh, but that was it. <laughs> he scored the rest of the game. And, you know, Tuki Tucson, he, I thought, pitched well against a very dangerous Texas offense. But the Rangers offense came back and they won five to three. Dane Dunning and Andrew Heaney embarrassed the White Sox hitters. Both of them struck out more than 10 batters. Dane Dunning had a career high in strikeouts against his former team. And yeah, four runs scored in a three-game sweep against the Texas Rangers. But Jim, don't worry about that. 
because the White Sox are building a culture. And I'm bringing this up because Sebi Zavala had some really interesting comments after the game. Like the White Sox need to focus, according to Sebi Zavala, on trying to generate like positive moments because if the losses pile up, things are going to go really sideways in the clubhouse. And Mm -hmm. this is like, I know that you mentioned in our last episode, like the White Sox wanting to protect Pedro Grafal, but this is something that I'm going to be paying attention to and just how these players respond to Grafal for the rest of the season and who actually buys into him as the manager. Yeah, it's it's unique coming from Sebi just because he isn't the most rah-rah guy. Like right. he often is very uh, terse and blunt if there isn't anything good that can be said. So to hear him try to, um, you know, generate some positive, you know, try to generate some good vibes after a terrible series, like struck me as like notable. Um, one quote that jumped out to me during the whole uh, trade sequence, John Greenberg highlighted in his uh, post about just the White Sox um, you know, trade deadline activity. It was a column about that in the Cubs. But he said, uh, the White Sox also made it on easy, Han, easy on Han to sell with the way they played all season. The most interesting thing said Han said Tuesday had to do with the team's culture, an amorphous word we use to talk about why a team is winning or losing. He definitely pointed some fingers, anonymous, anonymously at least. Quote, there's been some disappointments along the way, too, in terms of how some people have behaved and acted and reacted to the adversity here, he said. And that factors in when you're trying to build a positive winning culture. And going forward, that's going to be part of the evaluation. Guys who have each other's backs, guys who work toward winning as a team, guys who put the team above personal interests, unquote. Hmm. So seeing Sebi's quote, like, was he paying attention to what Han said? Or has this been a conversation going on about, like, having each other's backs and like not, uh, you know, grumbling or being unavailable or whatnot. But um, yeah, that's <laughs> I also stood out just because of that Joel Sherman report saying that the White Sox are interested in Salvador Perez and being like, is this going to be how it goes? Like the White Sox, you know, just grumble about, uh, you know, the culture rather than the talent they have or, uh, you know, who's actually been instilling the culture or who's up top. And, like, this would be, like, the fourth time the culture's been bad under Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. Yup. <laughs> and they keep complaining about it. So, like, yeah, sure, of course, now they go Sal Perez to uh, try to be uh, Grafal's, like, ambassador of culture or whatnot. And then, you know, is he going to be, like, the – yeah, I always yeah. This is this is like thinking five steps ahead, but I just pick, picture like Perez being like treated as like a narc for Pedro Grafal and like nobody taking to him, and then that goes belly up, and uh, it's the year is twenty thirty five, and Kenny Williams Jr. who is uh, now in charge with Kenny Williams still up top. Yeah, just and the culture has gone south for like the seventh time under their uh, just rain i suppose you can't even call it like a tenure it's a rain at that point <laughs> uh trey williams in the youtube comment section the white Sox have to finish 20 and 32 or better to not have 100 losses uh i don't want to tell you guys i don't know if the white Sox are gonna have 60 wins <laughs> like the way they've been playing like <laughs> 60 and 102 or even worse than that uh yeah it's certainly possible uh eel rig uh, how old is Brett Laurie? I'd say we bring him back in some bulldog. Even like a 
Who was some of the guys in the past, like in 2015, 2016? Well, 2015, the captains of Attitude, mm-hmm. Jeff Samarja. Who was it? Britt Laurie that Rick Hahn brought in because he thought that the clubhouse needed some edge to it. Yeah. Was he the one, or was it like uh, obviously Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton had a well, great yeah, working relationship? Was, <laughs> they they kind of built the team like a boy band. Like this guy's our fiery guy. This guy's our sage leader. This guy like like <laughs> Adam LaRoche was that guy. We need leadership. <laughs> yeah. Like. So I mean, that's that's how they've always approached culture. Is they like this guy will solve it, or um, you know, it's yeah, it, it's it goes back to just probably when they're thinking about culture like five managers in and they still really haven't figured out how to do it it's probably like the case of the 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 tippy top of the organization not uh setting the right uh you know just example or making the right demands or hiring people like who down the chain uh you know implement standards like it's yeah <laughs> yeah again this is something to be paying attention to because it was pretty clear like Robin Ventura was already in a losing battle going into the 2016 season. Props to him. He prevented a full out mutiny in spring training. What did Kenny Williams? That was another case where Kenny Williams came in. Yeah. Yeah. He had to step in because Jimmy yeah. Rollins had enough of Drake LaRoche running the bases. And uh, yeah, they just didn't respond to, to Robin at the end of that season. But that's the one thing, like, I, I thought that was a positive thing, though, during Rick Renteria's 10 years manager for the White Sox, especially those rebuilding years. They played hard for Rick Renteria. You could see that there was effort and even the whole tagline, Ricky's boys don't quit. And you just saw the level of effort on the playing field under Renteria, even though they didn't have the talent and those were some really bad teams. They still tried. Against Texas, after that first inning, it was like, hey, we scored three runs. That should be enough, right? Just dust your hands off. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like the 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 effort is is lacking. Yeah. I mean, like the way this deadline went with six pitchers being sent out and one position player being sent out, like the pitching staff should be terrible. Mm -hmm. Like they should be like overexposed facing a team like Texas. And yet like. Well, Dylan Cease is the one that gave way, of course. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. you know, the way they've pitched, like, since all these trades, or as these trades are like picking out, you know, one veteran after another, like, it still puts in stark relief, even starker relief, that it's still the offense. Like, the offense is the reason why. I mean, like, April was terrible for the pitching staff. Like, the starting and and the bullpen were both, you know, rotten, and like the bullpen. Uh, Part of it was a Griffal learning how to navigate a leverage hierarchy that was um, upended with Hendricks being out and trying to figure it out. Just happened to be like a tough schedule and so many, you know, so few games of having like big leads to kind of iron some things out. Like he got thrown in the fire. It didn't work out. But I mean, like ever since April, like the pitching has been fine. Not great, but fine. It's just the offense has not done anything. Like not even like the, you know, I always remember like the, the pre um, world series uh, teams of the aughts where just like they'd score 14 runs in one game and one run in the next game. And like, Oh, I wish they're, you know, I wish they're more consistent. Like the white Sox offense is consistent. That's why I never use the word consistent as a standalone adjective <laughs> because they're, yeah, you know, always need to be more consistent. Like, no, they're very consistent. They're just bad. <laughs> Consistently like, bad. Yeah. Like teams that are consistent and good or elite. Like, 
you know, most teams that are ordinarily good are inconsistent, but that means like they have some upside that they can occasionally tap into. Like this White Sox offense really does not have that upside. And that's why I thought like trading Jake Berger as hard as it is, like he's the one guy actually playing well enough to be traded. And so like, yeah, at least they're trying to do a three point turn out of their current roster dead ends where like they just have so much personnel space tied up in guys who can't really play positions all that well so like this is where they found themselves but yeah just everything kind of circles back to man how are the how do these guys still have jobs <laughs> that's like the, the, oh, there's multi- entire multiple episode. culture multiple culture crises multiple managers not being able to reach like you know m- multiple uh cases of like you know rosters not meshing together just uh, multiple cases of injuries not being heated. Yep. It, it's yeah, it's, it's baffling. I mean, it's not baffling because we're clearly understand. I want to be baffled. I think that's, that's, I think what's toughest about following this team is like, um, you know, nothing is surprising. T- nothing is surprising. <laughs> just like, I want to learn a new front office. I want to learn their habits, what they do, what their words mean, what their words don't mean, etc. Like when it comes to this front, like I just, I know everything and there's nothing like everybody knows everything because like, they're just, they've been here forever. So it's not like I'm, I've solved uh, the riddles. (laughs) And so like, uh, you know, I have the key to knowledge of this whole thing. No, like we've all been around and watched enough to like know what they do, know what their blind spots are, know what rakes they always step on. And like, it'd just be nice to have somebody else just to change the conversation so we can at least, either give some benefit of the doubt or not even benefit of the doubt, but it's like, we don't know what this means. We're all in a learning period here to, you know, to, to get to know each other. Well, I know how to fix your offense and I know how to fix your culture problem, Jim. Salvador Perez, baby. (laughs) He's going to fix both of them. December 8th, 2000. Well, I I did say December 8th, 2023. I want to bump that to December 5th. 2023, the White Sox trade for Salvador Perez as Jim Make and it I are there. As Jim and I will be in Nashville for the winter meetings. This will be the White Sox big winter meetings move. They acquire Salvador Perez by trading Jake Eater. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I remember like when I went the year I went to the winter meetings, I was surprised by like how just little um yeah, like it feels like there should be like a horn or a town crier saying when a move's been struck because it's just there's there's no way to know unless you're on Twitter, like staring at your phone. I think if they traded for Salvador Perez and we were there, I think everybody would know. <laughs> we just laugh. What are these jabronis laughing at? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Can't can't wait. Can't yep. wait when Salvador Perez becomes a White Sox. That's totally happening this offseason. All right, and uh, we'll end this show, uh, wrap it up with the series preview as the Chicago White Sox will be playing the Cleveland Guardians. And this may be a shocker to you. The White Sox lead the season series. They have won six out of ten games against the Guardians. They're six and four, and this will be the last time the White Sox and Guardians play in 2023. So at the beginning of the year, we kind of circled this series as you know, a pretty critical series for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but obviously that is not going to be the case. And mm-hmm. just looking at the American League Central standings before we get to the pitching problems for the White Sox. Again, Cleveland sold. I Is that is that accurate, Jim? Can we say that? They, they were sellers at the deadline. Yeah, like light sellers. They seem more of like a 2020, 
24 move than a 2023 move. Yeah, like not a lot of confidence to build up the team that they know they're not going to probably be doing too much damage in the postseason. Or they just don't have a lot of confidence in catching the Minnesota Twins. But the Twins didn't do a single thing at the deadline. And it's just kind of funny reading the other American League Central recaps at the trade deadline. No one is happy with the front offices of the teams of the American League Central after the trade deadline, especially Minneapolis. I mean, like the White Sox might be the happiest fan base. About what happened at the trade deadline, you're probably right, Jim. Because Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, you know, Tigers fans were disappointed by that. I mean, like Rodriguez had the right to leverage his no trade clause and just happened to be a case of like, oh, yeah, I mean, you gave it to him, (laughs) used it. Um, Although that was the previous administration uh, giving Rodriguez that no trade clause and maybe the... uh, uh, new front office Scott Harris uh, did not uh-huh. uh, know that's another you know GM who like if he were talking to Kenny Williams would be like huh why is he talking to Kenny <laughs> versus uh, you know maybe Al Avila goes back with Kenny but uh, you know Rick Hahn uh, should be like a Scott Harris peer um, yeah I mean like White Sox are the only ones who did anything kind of pertinent to their standings like the Royals are quiet Tigers got shut down like twins didn't like nobody wants this division it's amazing like, yeah, just uh, and, and like with this series coming up, like it doesn't surprise me that the White Sox are leading the season series, if only because like Cleveland can't escape 500. Like even when the White Sox were selling off their pitching staff while the, uh, Cleveland was there, like still could only split the series. Yeah, the Twins still lead their 55 and 54. As we are streaming this episode, they are playing against the St. Louis Cardinals. The Guardians, though, even though they're 53-56, are just two games back of the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> they're still in it, whether they want to be or not. They're in it. And the Detroit Tigers at 48 and 60, six and a half games back. And the White Sox are 43 and 67. I can't believe they're six games back at Detroit in the standings. Mm-hmm. Look out for Kansas City. They've won six straight games. They're 35 and 75 on the season. And the pitching problems for this series. Friday night, it's Mike Clevenger and his old stomping grounds in Cleveland. Saturday night, it's Michael Kopech. And Sunday, it's a game that will be on NBC's Peacock channel. So you have to have that app as the game will be at 11.05 a.m. Central Time. Super early game between the White Sox and the Guardians as Jesse Schultens is currently the probable starter for the White Sox. So Clevenger, Kopech, and Schultens for the White Sox. And I, I think in these series, especially we got Kopech and Schultz going back to back, like Clevenger, whatever, I don't care. But Kopech and Schultz, we still need to learn more and we need to see progress from them. And they're going to be contributors for the 2024 White Sox team. Even though the White Sox got swept, Schultz pitched really well in that first game, even though the White Sox lost two to nothing against, again, a very good Texas lineup gym. And I've been wondering this for a bit because I know he's an Ethan Katz guy, but does Jesse Schultz have staying power here? I'm inclined to say no, but not like, I would say he doesn't have like long-term staying power. I think through the rest of the year, like he and Tukey Tucson are like, they're fine. They're competing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't exactly know what like his go-to pitch is. Like Schultz is kind of like a pitchability guy, which is good. Like, and I think it's, 
I, I think he's an interesting presence on this rotation, just as like a foil to Kopech, like who just can't quite iron it out. And I know like after his uh, last start, like he's trying to talk about like mindset and being positive and keeping his focus and everything like that. But like when it comes to like, if Schultz comes up and, you know, 29 year old rookie and just out pitches Kopech down the stretch, like that's got a, I wonder if that like affects a few people, like whether it's like Kopech himself being like, how come he can do this and I can't? Or mm-hmm. the White Sox saying like, uh, he can't do this. And Schulten, if Schultz is pro- like providing this kind of base level of like major league replacement level starting pitching and, and giving you like a, like a Mario Kart ghost racer of like, here's how a pitcher should be performing if you are just an adequate like fifth starter and like Kopech isn't meeting that level of standards. Like I could see them, you know, having that conversation over the winter, like, you know, giving them a to-do list or just saying like, we're going to the bullpen or as soon as like these double a guys want, you know, whether it's, you know, eater or Nestrini or somebody Kai Bush, like saying like, once you know these guys start panning out, like, you know, we're going to relegate you to the bullpen because this isn't working. Like that's what I think is the most interesting thing about Schultz is just, how well he's pitching despite like not having a whole lot like his fastball it seems like it's ticking up a little bit Mm -hmm. like 95 when it was like 93 94 before so it seems like he's reaching back a little bit more and finding a little bit more on it but still not getting swings and misses not really a ground ball guy just off balance and kind of has a plan that he can stick to i think my concern with schultons is like you know should he have to go into all his pitches the first time through you know what does he have the second time through and I think right. that, that always concerns me about somebody like Schultz. When you look at his pitch mix, it's like, oh, he's fastball first the first time through. And he's mixing his slider uh, more, you know, with the first pitch the second time through. And then here comes a curveball the third time around. Like, that works well until all of a sudden, like, you run into a crooked number early and you have to, like, just go into the emergency supply of uh, your entire game plan. And then, like, it's really hard to get through a lineup a second or third time. So that's, I think, what I'm watching for Schultz as – he goes, but watching Cleveland's offense, like that's not necessarily doing anything to press pitchers into their desperation mode. Yeah, that's a good point. And Kopech had one of his best starts this season against Cleveland earlier this year. So hopefully he could find some magic. But with Schultz, what's that Simpsons word? Cromulent? Yeah. <laughs> Schultz is cromulent for the rest of this season. But it does raise some questions going to next season. Like, if he's a five-inning guy, that's fine if that's in the back of your rotation. But Kopech's probably a five-inning guy. Tucson is probably a five-inning guy. Schultz is probably a five-inning guy. Cease is probably at most a six-inning guy. So when you're looking to construct your bullpen in 2024, you may want to add some guys that can be swing guys that can take on... A couple of innings here and there because uh, you don't have a starting rotation as far as the outlook going the next season that could go deep into games and whoever you get in free agency or trade to help round out the the starting rotation. Um, I think durability is going to be a key factor for the White Sox and who they try to add uh, as far as on the the cheapish because starting pitchers are not cheap. Uh, in free agency, Mike Clevenger did not have that durability when they signed him. So that's why we had the outcry back in November that we were questioning that signing for the White Sox. That preceded though, everything else. Yeah, preceded everything else. Uh, and, and, you know, Clevenger, I'm sure, watch him go six innings, strike out seven, and it's all scoreless. 
Uh, and everyone would be like, hey, Mike Clevenger had a great outing. Fantastic. That's good for him because that's what he's pitching for right now. Mm-hmm. He's pitching for him to look better because it's a mutual option. And if he pitches better and his agent says, I think I can get you a multi-year deal, he's gone. The White Sox don't even get that opportunity to even opt in. Clevenger could just opt out and he's gone. So Mike Clevenger is pitching for himself at this moment. Schultz is a co-picker trying to prove that they have staying power in the starting rotation. So that's that's what's worthwhile in, in watching this series. And again, the White Sox just need to win one game to win the season series against Cleveland, which would be really odd uh, for this season. But that that's what I'm going to be watching for is how Schultz and Kopech pitch, Jim. Anything else that you're going to be keeping an eye on? No, I mean, just the offense in general as a unit, like seeing if there's any Do something. There. Yeah, <laughs> basically <laughs> you know, the stick poking meme. I mean, that's kind of how it is. Like just, you know, Oscar Colas watching him. You know, like there's, there's a reason to watch like several players on this roster, but like, None of it's for good reasons. And yeah, it's not exciting, just more along the lines of like, can the White Sox actually build around these guys if they are treating 2024 as a, like a true contention year or at least, you know, giving them a shot at contending with other moves they make? Like right now, there's just nobody providing that kind of um, upside to where like, yeah, this is going to be Jimenez's breakout year. This is going to be Andrew Vaughn's breakout year that, you know, center them, cement them into the middle of the order. And, you know, everybody's going to be happy with the way they look. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty bleak. And I think seeing the pitching step up and like, you know, the C start aside, like pitching winnable ball games, like at least that makes it watchable. Like that's, I think what it gets really tough is when they you know, fall behind six, nothing, you know, after two innings and you know, all of a sudden you're looking at the clock and saying like, oh, I got, you know, two more hours of this and I got the front end of the bullpen. <laughs> like, so, I mean like this, so I think, you know, if you're going to watch a terrible team mailed in down the stretch, like if the pitching is invested and the pitching is all the reasons to still show up and perform, like at least that makes it more palatable and the games are sh- closer to two hours and three hours. Yeah, a cap tip to the pitching staff. They are pitching admirably, and we'll see if the offense does pick up their play this weekend against Cleveland. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching the live stream on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Machine. which if you just found the YouTube channel, which I recently just saw that as a comment section, that someone was shocked that Sox Machine has a YouTube channel. If you are shocked as well, please subscribe to our YouTube channel so you'll get our latest videos and notifications of our latest streams. And you can follow us on social media. We're at Socks Machine for Twitter or X or whatever they're going to call it next week. Instagram and threads. You can follow me on Twitter and on those platforms at Socks Machine underscore Josh. We always take the audio of the Socks Machine live episodes and upload it into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to on platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy our work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash socksmachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, like the iHeart Wild Pitch Offense shirts that you can get in the Socks Machine shop, the Patreon supporters are the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash socksmachine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. 
Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com